It's a confusing thing when you look at uh, marriage and what causes marriage uh, to, to go into turmoil in our day and age. And uh, if you read a hundred different websites about what are the top ten causes of divorce, you'll get many different answers because there's a whole lot of different ways to measure that. You know, some will say it's poor communication. That's kind of the, the biggest thing to talk about is uh, communication. Some will say it's false expectations or got married too early and, you know, those kind of things. But when it comes to what we actually disagree about um, in marriage, there are three topics that are the biggest disagreements in marriage that lead to divorce. Guess what they are? Top three disagreements. What's that? Money? Not kids, actually, in top three. What? In-laws, number three. Good call. That's one that usually gets people by surprise. Number two, everybody's afraid to say it in church. Sex, yeah. So, so money, sex, and in-laws. In-laws is one of the ones, that, when I do premarital counseling or marriage counseling or whatever, and I'm talking to people, and I name the first two, and everybody's like, yeah, and then I say in-laws, and they're like, what? In-laws? And then they're like, wait, that makes a lot of sense. In-laws, yeah. You know? And, uh, the, of course, money is really um, the one that we're talking about today because we're talking about freedom from greed. And we're talking about living the, the, the blessed life that God has for us. God has a life that's just supposed to feel blessed. Do you believe that? That our lives are supposed to feel to us like we're blessed. Do you believe that? You know, we are not told that life will be easy. And we are not told that when we follow Jesus, our wallets are going to be overflowing. But we are told that when we follow Jesus, we will feel blessed. We will know that we are blessed. We're told that all through the pages of Scripture. That we're to live a life that's full of blessing. And we're aware of that blessing. And we're grateful for it. What we're talking about today is how greed steals that blessing from our life. How it steals it. Because when it comes to marriage, money, number one cause of divorce in America, the number one thing, across the board, topic that people disagree about in marriage, money. Money problems. What's deeper than our money problems is our heart problems. All money does is show us what's in our heart. That's all it does. Money's nothing. It really isn't. Money's paper with faces on it, numbers on it. That's all it is. It doesn't sparkle like gold. It doesn't get stuff done like the person who's working. It can't get me time that I need in order. All money is is a piece of paper, but what it represents is all the resources that are behind it, all the time it takes to get it, and and all the stuff I can get with it, and all of that. That's And all the sparkly, shiny, fun stuff that I want to do when I have it, all all of that. But money's not that. Money's just paper. That's all it is. It's paper or coins. But it represents all the resources. And it's the common denominator of all the resources. And what it does is it, it takes that when, when you get all of that stuff put into a common pot and we call it money, then that becomes the source of control. And so how we use our money and how we relate to each other based on our money reveals all sorts of stuff about our hearts. 
And so when we have money problems, our problems aren't money problems. Our problems are heart problems. And what do we call heart problems? Sin. Thank you. Heart problems are called sin. And so underneath real money problems, the deepest, perhaps the deepest problem underneath of money that's a sin issue is what we're tackling today. It's called greed. And greed has an ability to blow apart relationships. And that's what I want to talk about today. Mostly, what I want to propose today is that greed destroys covenants. That's what greed does. As a matter of fact, greed is intended to destroy covenants. That the design of the temptation of greed, that the enemies move in tempting us with greed, is not just greed in and of itself. That the whole point is to destroy covenantal relationships. That's the whole point of greed, is to bust the relationships. You know what Jesus talks about more than anything else? What does Jesus talk about more than anything else? I tricked you. Yeah, you'd think money, and that because that's what the sermon's about. But actually, it is close. And those of you who answer that, it's real close. What Jesus actually talks about more than anything else is the kingdom of God. And this is why, like in marriage issues, you could say, well, communication issues, communication about money. <laughs> you know, or you could say expectations. What well, expectations about money? Well, the kingdom of God is what Jesus talks about more than anything else. And what is the kingdom of God comprised of? It's comprised of relationships, two relationships in particular. What are the two relationships that Jesus talks about all the time? Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These two are the greatest commandments, and all the other commandments are summed up inside of them. The kingdom of God is built upon how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. And he talks about building the kingdom of God, building the relationship with him and the relationship with each other. And inside of that, so we're talking about kingdom of God counseling here, okay? In my relationship with God and my relationship with other. Then within that, what's the number one thing that Jesus talks about? Money. Money. How we relate to him and how we relate to one another, he talks about more in terms of money and monetary things than anything else. Can you believe that? I mean, you could argue communication in there, but really, when there's one specific thing, like an issue that people fight about in marriage, it's money, and if there's one specific topic, real hard thing here that we can look at that says this expresses our heart in relationship to God and our relationship to one another. The thing that Jesus talks about over and over and over again is money. And that's because greed has the ability to destroy the covenants because when my heart goes bad around my resources, it ends up affecting my relationships with other people and my relationship with God. Underneath of covenant, is this other kind of relationship. And that relationship we've talked about before as well. That's called a contract. There's a covenant and then there's a contract. And a contract assumes that I have something to give to you and you have something to give to me and we agree about what I'll give to you and what you'll give to me. And there are boundaries between you and I and we agree on what those boundaries will be and what we provide for each other. That's a contractual relationship. A covenantal relationship says that there is no line between you and me, that I am yours and you are mine. That's the difference between contract and covenant. We live in a society 
here in America and here in the West that understands something. We've agreed to confess something together. We've had a mass confession as a society. And the mass confession is that we're greedy. And because of it, we have a socioeconomic system that we put in place. Anyone know what that's called? Capitalism. What capitalism says is it says, you're greedy. And guess what? So am I. And we're going to be honest about that. We're going to be honest about the fact that I want more and that you want more and that you have to work to get more and I have to work to get more. But then we need boundaries because we need each other in that in the exchange of goods and the pursuit of what it is that we want, the pursuit of happiness and all of that. And so in the process of it, we need boundaries to make sure that we play fair in the sandbox of capitalism. And so what we call that is contracts. Okay. So I will offer these services to you. You will pay me this. That's a contract. When I get into marriage, my prenup is my contract. I might not have a prenup, but there may actually still be a contract that's unwritten. And in most of our relationships, if there aren't written contracts, there are unwritten contracts. And most of them don't have to do with money. Most of them have to do with how nice you'll be to me and what it is that I'll do to you when you're hurting and you have a need. And we assume that you'll provide this for me and I'll provide that for you. And it's an exchange of goods and our relationships are to receive the things that we we feel like we need in our pursuit of happiness. So up here is all the stuff that will make me happy. And down here is all of us pursuing that stuff. And we have contracts with each other in our pursuit of that stuff. Those are contractual relationships. Contract is based on the assumption that we all have greed. Therefore, it automatically, by definition, is opposed to covenant, which says there is no end to me and beginning to you. All that is mine is yours and all that is yours is mine. Covenant is a scary, scary thing. Contracts aren't nearly as scary. But greed is the scariest of all. And greed makes us do silly, silly things, which leads us to our text today. Matthew chapter 18, cool passage of scripture, the whole chapter, because in Matthew 18 is where it talks about how we deal with each other when we fall into sin. It talks about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Um, It talks about our temptations. It talks about the lost sheep. It talks about all sorts of things. But one of the things it talks about is this moment when Peter asked Jesus in relationships. It's all about relationships, Matthew 18. He says in relationships, like if someone messes with me and does things that are inappropriate, how much do I have to forgive him? Jesus, you know, the whole genius of Jesus, one of the one of the great genius of Jesus is they always ask the question that we should be asking or that we're asking on the deepest level instead of the one that we're just asking out here. Right. And so when Peter says, how much do I have to forgive? He tells this story that is a bizarre story as an answer to that. And a few weeks ago, when we preached on self-righteousness, freedom from self-righteousness, self-dependence, we talked about the rich young ruler. And I said, we could be talking about materialism or greed with this guy. And most people would talk about that. But I don't think that's his problem. I think his problem is self-righteousness. And I said, and there's another, another story that people might talk about as self-righteousness. But instead, I think that one's about greed. And that's the one that we're looking at today in Matthew 18. This is this uh, wonderful story that Jesus tells us that looks initially like it might be about judgmentalism, but underneath of it, I think it's actually about greed. So first, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And as is our custom, we will stand in honor of God's word as we read it, please. <clears throat> 
Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. By the way, cliff note, it might be in your Bible there, a talent is a year's worth of wages. 10,000 years' worth of wages. It's a lot of cash. Verse 5, or verse 25. And since he could not pay, surprise, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So he was going to sell him into slavery and that was going to be payment for him. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. (laughs) Yeah. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, do you, anybody have a note there that says what denarii is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 20 days wages, a day's wages, hundred it doesn't really matter. It's a few days wages is a denarii, a hundred of those. That's still a lot of money, nothing compared to the other guys. Now listen, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. May God add rich blessing to the reading of his word. You can have a seat, please. Let's pray for a minute. God, with the time that we have left, reveal to us your perspective on our resources and help our hearts to be soft to receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Greed makes us do silly things. This guy choked out his fellow servant, actually literally got his hands wrapped around his neck and started choking. Who should have been going to prison? You know, he had he's like, give me my money, you know, and there's just that deep level of like, give it to me, you know, going on here. And he just got forgiven all this stuff, completely and totally irrational behavior. Nothing rational about this, you know, except when you think about this guy who was like, I will not be embarrassed like that again. So I'm going to make sure that I have all the resources I need. So I'm going to squeeze everyone else to get what I need so that I won't be in that situation. But I guarantee it was greed that got that guy in this situation in the first place. Okay. You know, other examples of scripture where people do just crazy stuff um, in, in greed. Do you remember um, the, the big patriarchs in the Old Testament? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac married a, a woman. Do you remember her name? Rebecca. Somebody said it. Isaac, his wife's name was Rebecca. She had a brother. You remember his name? Laban. Laban. This dude is something else. Isaac and Rebecca have two sons. Their names are Jacob and Esau. Okay. 
Greed, all sorts of issues with greed between them. They had problems, okay? Esau, <laughs> Esau wasn't the brightest guy, it didn't seem, and he got had a few times. And he was mad. Jacob had to get out of town because Esau was a tough guy. So Jacob gets sent out of town to Laban, his uncle, to find a wife, which would be his cousin. Weird. Okay, but it is what it is, and it's in the Bible. So he goes um, to marry his cousin and ends up marrying two of them instead. And so uh, he marries uh, first Leah, who he gets tricked by his uncle into marrying. He must have been really drunk that night, didn't know what was going on. And then uh, secondly, he ends up marrying Rachel, okay, the one who he was actually after and who he uh, worked for seven years in order to attain. That was a contract by the way, um, in order to gain a covenant. And so uh, what ended up happening is uh, Laban and Jacob have a long-term relationship, contractual relationship, where they are, Jacob is always required to do things for Laban to get reward from Laban, whether that's the girls or whether that's sheep or whatever it is. And Laban is, this guy is like, perfect for Jacob because Jacob's name actually means deceiver because he deceived his brother and he's always tricking people and everything. But Laban was ruthless. He was far worse than that. And he's always trying to trick Jacob and lie to him and do all this stuff to him. So Jacob was getting a real healthy dose of his own medicine, you know, and he's experiencing all this stuff. But what ends up happening is so funny is that this is uncle and nephew. They're supposed to be close, but the covenant is broken over and over again between these people and they can't be family because they're both greedy. So they can't live like family. Instead, they have to live like business partners in contract. And Laban ends up getting burnt over and over again and ends up losing everything he has because he's greedy and he keeps trying to be stingy and nickel and dime Jacob. And in the process, Jacob grows smarter and learns how to nickel and dime him back and steals all his stuff from him. That's a Bible story. And the moral of the story is... Anyway, so... Um, this, is, this is the picture of greed, how it just breaks apart family relationships. Tears apart family relationship. Laban just does this ridiculous, irrational stuff where he has someone who's constantly being blessed, who's growing his flocks, who's doing all this stuff for him, and instead of loving him like a son and making everything work and having them be blessed, he gets stingy and greedy, and in the process, the whole thing breaks apart and he loses anything he could have had. It's greed. What's the most irrational picture of greed in the entire scriptures? Can you think of it? Judas is scary. No question about it. I could weep right now thinking about how incredibly irrational greed makes us act to sell our Savior to a Roman cross for a few pieces of silver. Talk about breaking of covenant because of greed. It destroys us. It tears us apart. It rips us from our relationships. What is greed? We tend to think that greed is this. That greed is, I want more. Right? I want more than my share. I want, I want, I want greed. That's what we think of initially. And that's what greed is. I mean, 
You look at the big first sin, of course, and you had all the fruit and all the stuff, you know. But there's one that we didn't have, you know, and we had to get that one. But it wasn't just the fruit. It was also the knowledge. It was the, oh, you have the knowledge. I want the knowledge. You have the fruit. It looks good. It tastes good. We want more. Materialism, it's impossible, absolutely 100% impossible to live in America and not struggle with materialism. Is there anyone in this room who does not struggle on any level with materialism? Raise your hand. I dare you. <laughs> you know, come on. We all struggle. We all struggle. We also struggle maybe with self-righteousness, you know, which might be the flip side of it. The flip side of our, instead of being materialistic, I have this self-righteousness around how I deal with this. And we get super stingy in another way with money. You know, but the, that self-righteousness and that greed, that rich young ruler and this guy, they have a lot in common. You know, is it my righteousness I'm depending on or my money I'm depending on? And we use the one to manipulate the other. And that's how it works. And we blow apart our relationships all over the place. Greed says that I want more. It's never enough. And we waste our time trying to get more money. How many of us have wasted time trying to get more money? Wow, the rest of you are awesome. That's awesome. Gosh, you're a bunch of liars. <laughs> um, we also... <laughs> I love you, seriously. <laughs> we also waste money to get time. We waste time to get money. We waste money to get time. We waste talent to do all sorts of things, to overindulge. We waste energy to overindulge. You know what the craziest illogical one is? When we waste money to get money. Like seriously, waste money. I don't mean that we invest money or take a risk with money in order to get it. Like when we waste money. I was on vacation with the family for the last two weeks. We had, um, we, there was this Groupon. Oh, I'll tell you what I've wasted time on. I've wasted time not just to get money, but to save money. Have you done that? Like over shopping a product in order to make sure that you like save that 50 cents on it? Dude, how much was my four hours worth? 50 cents? I don't know. You know, but like you can save a ridiculous, save a, a stupid amount of money, just tiny little bit and waste crazy amounts of time trying to save that, you know? Um, but the, the most hyperbolic picture of wasting in order to gain and, and how greed makes us irrational. We, I, I got this Groupon, uh, to go to Steel Pier in Atlantic City, uh, to, to, um, take the kids on amusements, you know? And it ended up being awesome. We got hooked up because I didn't know it was like two for Tuesday and it only took two tickets to go on any ride and we had all these tickets. It was awesome. Plus it was pouring rain. So there was no one on the rides. Sorry, kids. Um, and, uh, they loved it, man. They're whipping around in the circles on these rides and the rain's pelting them in the face. I'm like, it's Wild Water Kingdom. It's Steel Pier. Who knew? You know? <laughs> so, um, we, the best place to, the best way to get there is you gotta park in the Taj Mahal. And so then you walk through the Taj Mahal to get to the boardwalk. And as we're walking, coming down escalators, Boys are looking around, and there's a chandelier that's probably the size of this room, you know? And they're like, whoa. And Colton says, is that real? And I was like, 
what do you mean is it real? I mean, it's right there in front of you. Like, do you mean, and he's like, you know, like the, there's this big red rubies in there. Are they real? I'm like, oh, dude, nothing's real here, man. Like, nothing is real. Okay. And just don't believe that anything's real. And, but it led to more and more discussions because they're seeing lights and they're hearing ching, 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 you know, and they're hearing all the sounds and they're watching people in front of like adult kind of video games maybe or something. What is that? Is that like PlayStation for adults or I don't know. What is that thing? And, you know, and so they're trying to figure out what's going on in this thing. And it's a game and, you know, there's like, is that fun and everything? But then this other conversation started to emerge. And the conversation was why there is so many sad people in this place. It's amazing what happens when, when greed grips us and the hyperbole of, uh, of, of taking something like a, a casino that says, if we throw this amount of money, then I'll end up getting more, you know? And, you know, if I go and play... Uh, five card draw with my buddies and we're throwing pennies in to bet for something or whatever and you're the pot's so small and you're trying to play a game what's the difference between that and monopoly this isn't about gambling that's not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is how irrational we get when we're trying to get more that we can blow our life savings trying to get more and how crazy irrational it is and we lose our relationships and we break the covenants and everything falls apart because I'm trying to get more and what it is that I really need goes missing because I thought that I could get a little bit more. The problem with greed is not just that I want more. The problem with greed is that it's based on one other thought that's deeper. And it's not that I can acquire more. That's the biggest lie of greed. The biggest lie of greed is that what I have is actually mine. That what I do acquire is mine anyway. The scriptures make it really clear that what I have is not mine. Capitalism is based on that idea that we can each acquire a little bit more if we work a little harder. We have to trade one thing in order to get others. And we're always trying to cut a little bit of a corner somewhere, somehow, so that we can get a little bit further ahead. Because what we're told is, is that those who acquire more resources are the ones who are more happy. And so if I get more, then I'll be happier. And we know that's a lie, but we still don't believe that it's a lie um, in the way we live our lives all the time. And so we have this sense inside of us, this struggle that I want the more, and I can't help but sometimes think that if I get the more, it'll make me happier. If I overindulge this thing, if I eat more of this or drink more of this or have more of this or buy more of this or whatever, more, 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 that somewhere along the line, it's going to get me happy. And we all know We all know it doesn't lead to happiness and we all know that it's fleeting and that it never lasts. We all know that, but it still crushes us and we still struggle with it because we're irrational, because we're greedy. I'm going to ask us to make a mass confession that the world around us has all made. Am I greedy? You know, and I think that there's only one answer if you're a human that's appropriate to that question? Yes, I'm greedy. What does it mean to be greedy? 
It doesn't mean just that I want more. The problem is that I think that what I have came from me and that what I now have belongs to me. And that's a completely anti-biblical picture because what the scriptures say is that every good gift comes from, but I worked hard for that gift. I don't care because I believe the Bible and the Bible says that every good gift came from God. And I'm only breathing today because of God. And I'm only walking today because of God. And any talent I have, I might have worked on honing that craft and practicing it, but the raw talent, that came from God. Every good gift. It wasn't my choice to be born in America, you know, in the land of luxury. It wasn't my choice. It's a gift. I don't know why, but it's a gift. Every good gift comes from God. Every one of them. The lie of greed says that I am the one who controls my resources and that they are mine. The problem with this is what if I, what if I stopped thinking that and started thinking covenantally and I started looking around this room and I said, you know what? Rob's actually my neighbor. So like literal neighbor. You know when Jesus says, who's my neighbor? Like Rob's like literally my neighbor. What if I said, Rob, you and I should have a joint bank account, man. Everything that's mine is now yours, and everything that's yours is now mine. That'd be craziness. Why is it craziness to to give someone else all that's mine? Because the thing is that I know that everyone else is greedy, right? And so I can't trust that if I just freely give of my time, energy, talents, and money, that people will steward that appropriately. Because everyone else is greedy. I want more, so they're going to take And so we can't trust other people, so we have a really hard time living outside of the system of greed. Because we can't trust people to not be greedy, because we're all greedy. But here's what we can trust, is we can trust God to provide. And he's the giver of all good gifts. The lie is that it's mine. It's not mine. It would also be a lie to think that it's yours. That what I have is yours. It's not yours. It's not even ours. What I have is not mine. It's also not my wife's. Jen's, my stuff is not Jen's. My stuff is not ours. Our stuff is God's. It's all God's. Everything is God's. We own nothing. We are passing through this earth. And God blesses us with things that he calls us to steward and to handle well and to be smart about, but not because they're ours and we have to be smart in order to provide for our family and take care of ourselves, but because it's his and he wants us to steward his stuff well as his children. We have an an eternal inheritance, the treasures of heaven, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My God will provide for our needs according to his riches in glory. And there is no end to what it is that he has. But he does call me to deal with his stuff in faith. To deal with it well. To prioritize it appropriately. So here's the good news. Is that while God gives, and he gives ample, and he gives abundantly, God also gives parameters that help my heart be checked around greed. There's natural rhythms that God builds into my heart that are like the antidotes 
anecdotes to greed. There's two in particular. Greed starts with a G, and so do the two anecdotes for greed. First one is gratitude. Gratefulness. There's, that's a double. Gratitude, great, gratitude gr- slash gratefulness. Next one is graciousness slash giving. Lots of G's going on there. It's all for God. Holy cow, stop. <laughs> well done. So uh, when we enter into our connection with God, Psalm 100. Who knows Psalm 100? How does it start off? I will enter his gates, G. I will enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Okay. So this is when when I'm entering into connection with God, I got to enter through the gates. And that's not just talking about church. It is talking about church. So when we come in, when we come up into this place, we should be grateful. We should be thankful. We should be praising God. Every time we come into church, we should be asking God to prepare my heart, put me in a place of gratitude. I'm not coming into this place with a place of, from a place of greed where I need this from you and I need this from them. I'm not coming to church for what I can get out of this. I'm coming in because I need to be thankful to you. This is worship, which means I give you what you are worth. That means these things, this thing right here, an altar table where there's offering plates. This is the wave offering that I give to God back to him. This is gratitude. The whole idea of worship is giving back to God, not receiving from God. He's already given us life. If he gives us nothing other than what he's already given us right now, he's given us way more than we ever deserve. I should not come into church looking to receive, but rather to give to God. Gratitude. Okay? And, and, but every time I approach God, not just at church, I'm to enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Which means that instead of coming to God primarily looking for what it is that I can receive from God, instead I am looking to respond to God based on what it is that he's already given me. There's this wonderful passage of scripture that you'll see it in the takeaways at the end. I really wish we had time to get into it, but we don't. It's First Timothy chapter 6. Uh, you should just read that chapter at some point throughout this week and meditate on it. But it's in that passage where we're told that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. All sorts of craziness happens within us. There's another passage in Matthew that tells us that we can't serve two masters, that we'll either love the one and hate the other or we'll cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and money. Why? See, this is what happens, is that... If I worship God because I think God has something to offer me, so therefore I'll worship him, then I just formed a contract with God. And he will not honor that contract because he's not a God of contracts. He's a God of covenant. And what God says is there's no end to where I am and where you are. I'm your father and I love you and I want to bring you into the family. But you do not come in expecting me to do this for you so you'll do this for me. That's not how we roll. We are one or we are nothing. 
And what that means is, is when I enter into my relationship with God, when I enter into his gates, I don't come in asking for God to be my therapist and asking for God to make uh, be a genie who makes my life work out. We tend to think that God is one who is therapeutic for us so that we can get what it is that we need. Either he provides specifically what I need or he makes me healthy enough to get what I need. It used to be that people would would very much think, God, give me this. God, give me that. God, give me that. And some people still do really think that. But there's this other subtle lie that's deeper than that that says, God, make me healthy enough so that I can get what I want. And that's the therapy God. All that's a lie. All of it's a lie. We don't come to church to get therapy from God. We don't come to church in order to get stuff from God. We come to church to give our hearts to God because he gave us everything, because he's God. And so we come with gratitude. Here's the thing. If you look at the medical world or the psychological world, there's so many studies that have been done between the the tie between gratitude and happiness. And I knew this, so I I went on Google this week and I typed in the words gratitude and happiness. And just wanted to see, uh, you know, do some research about that. It's, it was like five pages deep in Google links before I found anything related to the scriptures or anything Christian. Because just in the secular world, it is just a clear, obvious understanding that if you're grateful, you're happy. You know, people who have never read the Bible, have no faith at all, still are aware that the people who are most grateful are the people who are most happy. And that's a scientific medical fact that when we're full of gratitude, we're full of joy. And you get to the fifth page of all the Google links and you start reading the scriptures that say, yeah, from deep, Jesus already had this one. Okay. And, and so we give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He has a great life in store for you, but it takes gratitude. So the natural check in my life is not first to think about what I don't have, but to praise God for what I do. You ever noticed um, there's story, awesome stories in Scripture about this? Like, remember Paul and Silas when they got locked up in prison? Circumstances were not happy circumstances. What did they do? Sang praises to God. And all of a sudden, it said, it said that they were singing. They're, they're joyous singing. They started singing, and, and what ended up happening is their circumstances started to change, and they started realizing, oh, we're created for the glory of God, and God is going to use this situation to glorify himself, which means God's actually using me right now. There's a purpose to my life, and he's using me to reveal his glory. And they start getting all grateful about it. <clears throat> Next thing you know, Everything that everyone thought was so solid starts to shake. And the bonds of greed that were around everyone start to break off. Everyone's unshackled. And this earth is shook. And instead the kingdom of God emerges. And a jailer comes and says, I want what you have. I want what you have. I want the freedom that you prisoners have. And I said, believe, and today you and your house will be saved. Awesome picture of God's defiance of greed, you know, when it comes to gratitude. This is where a journal comes in really handy, by the way. If you don't journal about your prayer life and about God's provisions for you, it's a really important thing to to practice. Thank you notes, very important thing to, to work on. Second thing, the first was gratitude. The second was 
giving, graciousness. Yeah, exactly. So um, we're, uh, we give ourselves. Now, when we give ourselves, there's three ways that God actually has built that into um, his plan for our lives. If we believe it's his money, then we have to live according to his plan. And that plan requires gratitude and gratefulness, or, uh, gratitude and graciousness. Graciousness, when it comes to our resources, goes like this. When it comes to our money, how does God call us to be grateful and gracious with our money? These are principles already written into Scripture. Sam, tithes is the first thing. So the way I respond with my money, the first thing I do with my money is to give to God. And then what else do I give to? I give to God. That's like, you know, I give them back to the church, the temple, whatever. But then I give, there's another group of people who God tells me to give to. The poor. The poor. Those in need. That's graciousness. Okay, so there's gratitude and there's graciousness when it comes to dealing with my money. But our all resources, our greed is by no means just about our money, is it? I mean, I, I am, I'll be honest, I am way more tempted by greed around my time than I am around my money. Because when your time gets super, super thin, it is a scary thing to start feeling like you're running out of time. It's a scary thing, and so it's easy to get greedy around our time. God does this awesome thing. He builds in time. When he makes time, God made time. And in time, he built into the clock of our world, he built in something that's the antidote to greed around time. Do you know what it's called? Sabbath. That's what it's called. Which day of the week did God rest? Seventh day. Which day were we created? Sixth day, we went to bed, woke up, our first morning, and what day was it? Day of rest. Yeah, sweet. Woke up on our first day, and it was rest, which is why the first day of the week we call Sunday our Sabbath, okay? The first fruits of our money and resources go to God. The first fruits of our time go to God. When you wake up in the morning, Go to God. You're weak. Prioritize your calendar around God. Third thing is this, our talents, our energy, our resources. God gives us a natural antidote to greed when it comes to our resources, our talent. So if you're gifted at something and you're talented at something, how would you use that in contract? You go to work, right? You're good at something, you go to work, and you get paid for it. That's a contractual relationship. The opposite So what fights against that is what I'm good at, the first thing I do with it is I serve. I serve. God has given us gifts to serve the body. Okay? So when it comes to our money, we tithe and we give to the poor. When it comes to our time, we take Sabbath with God and we care for people and invest into people with our time. And when it comes to the third thing, our service primarily is first to God, not our employer, and it's to the body of Christ, not just the workplace. Okay? And so those are the things that if we trust God, then we understand this is his stuff, not mine, and I will honor him first. Now, here's the problem, and this is the last thing we need to say. The problem is this. My time is short. My talents are limited. And my money is never enough. And so when do I give to God? 
How, when I'm in debt, do I still plan on giving to God? How, when my calendar is squeezed to max, do I still, you know, invest my time into my walk with God and a personal relationship and reading the Bible and a prayer and going to church and all that stuff? How do I do that when there's nothing left? You know, when, when, it's, when, when I'm bled dry. And Jesus does this awesome thing all across the pages of Scripture. There is this one demographic that he uses to humble us, and it's called the widow. There's this guy named Elijah who was a prophet and Israel, uh, Jezebel and uh, Ahab were the leaders of Israel and they were worshiping the false god of Baal who was the god of fertility who was supposed to make them have lots of crops so they had more goods and that's what they wanted because they were greedy so they worshiped this false god and God was like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not going to work. You're breaking the covenant and so you're not going to receive from me as if we're contractual here. So he stops the rain and there's famine over the land and the prophet Elijah says you will not receive rain because you are violating the covenant with God and then God says well I need to feed my prophet so he takes him over to Baal's territory the the native countries of Baal and and he takes him to this little old widow in a town called Zarephath and he says ask her for food and she says this is the last of what I have I was going to make my last pancake and I was going to give it to my son and we were going to die and he says give it to me instead And what does she do? She gives it to him. And what does God do? Her jar never runs dry. And she always has enough. Give us this day our daily bread. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Then give us this day our daily bread. You're first. His... Protege, Elisha, same thing. Shunammite widow. Fills up her jars, keeps filling them, keeps filling them, keeps filling them. Eventually you get to the New Testament. There's all these pictures of these widows who have nothing. Get to the New Testament and Jesus is hanging out at the temple and there's all these big wigs with lots of money who are dumping all sorts of stuff into the, rattling the offering plates, you know. And then Jesus looks over and says, look, look. And there's a little widow with two pennies putting them in the plate. And I don't think that Jesus' eyes could have been dry when he was saying this. He said, look at her. Look at her. She has nothing. She gave everything she had. And she will always have enough. Because that's my daughter. That's my girl. And she trusts me. And she knows that I will take care of her. And she doesn't trust those two last pennies. She trusts me and out of the gratefulness of her heart and out of the graciousness of the spirit within her she trusted god with great faith in your life god wants to do spectacular things he wants to do two things in particular one is he wants to do something far bigger than what your time and your talent and your money can afford to do but he needs you to trust him. And the second thing he wants to do is he wants to blow apart the mindset of greed like that that Philippi jailer where everyone else is based on the system of greed and what's mine. And he wants you to put on a radical display for all those around you that what's yours is not yours, it's his. And if you live that way, he will bless your life. 
And I don't mean that you'll be flowing with money coming out your ears or something. I mean that people will look at your life and you will be full of joy and you will always have enough and he will always provide because you trust him. How would that look? Here's the takeaways. You can switch it over. Here's the takeaways. If you have your sheet, pull it out. The lie underneath this form, the lie underneath this form of bondage, of greed, is that I have exclusive personal ownership over my life and resources. It's a lie. I do not have exclusive personal ownership over my life and resources. Scriptures that reflect that that's a lie. Matthew 6, 1 Timothy 6, that's that one I was telling you about. You've got to check that one out. Acts 5, 1 Corinthians 6. Check those out, okay, throughout the week. What is the truth that breaks this form of bondage? The truth is, is that it's all his. He will always have enough for me. I am his child and I'm called to use the resources to further the kingdom of God. The resources I have are not just for me and my provision. They're my portion of investing into the kingdom of God. There's passages there to help support that for you. Matthew 6, James 1, 1 Kings 17. That's that Zarephath widow passage. It's awesome. Acts 20, learning to be content in all circumstances because God's the provider. All right, how would my life look different? Financial stress would not be a big factor in my relationships with other people. That would be awesome. We'd have a much lower divorce rate if we believed in the truth that it all belongs to God. I would work hard, but it would not be for capitalistic reasons. It would be for the glory of God, not for my gain, but for his. He's given me talent. He's given me resources. How I invest those is not for my own gain. It's for the glory of God. Serving God would be my first priority with my resources. It would be the number one thing on my list, not the leftover. And I would have joy in what it is that he's provided and here's the decisions that would be different. Prayer would precede any major decisions about the allocations of my time, money, and, and talents. I would buy based on God's desires more than my own, and I would give based on his lead more than my bank balance. This is a dangerous mistake that we get into when we say, how much do I have, so how much can I give? None of the widows ask that question. None of them. Not one of them. Faith is when we say, how much is he asking for? That's what I'm going to give. You know, how much is he worth? <laughs> That's what worship is, giving God what he's worth. All of it. I would like to, I would look to bless more than receive because I would understand that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So here's the challenge of the week. Take a careful look at my time, my talents, and particularly my money, and honestly ask God to reveal what they say about my faith and my priorities, and then find creative ways to express gratitude for God's provision. And some of that gratitude needs to go to people, too, for how they've invested into our lives. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for um, showing the exact opposite of greed in sending your son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, thank you for never holding on to your rights as the son of God. Thank you for never keeping your time as your own. Thank you for living without a place to lay your head and without a, without a den to call your own. Thank you for giving all of who you are and what you are completely and totally over to us for our benefit and for the glory of your Father. Those of us who are, who are Christians, little Christs, help us, God, to live with this kind of faith that can say, it doesn't come from me and it's not mine to control. 
It's all from you and you will always provide. My job is to trust you and to live with these resources the way that you have called me to live. I will trust you, God, and I will live according to your principles. It's all yours and you will always provide. I trust you for that, God. Set us free from the bondage of greed that breaks our relationships and has us running in ridiculous irrational circles set us free from the lie give us the freedom of the truth that it is all yours and there's no end to your resources and we can trust you and be free and be blessed in the name of jesus